Hi, uh, my name is John Macy. Welcome to the B Team Podcast. I'm here to record our latest installment of the pull list for August 29th, 2021. Um, got a couple weeks worth of stuff to get to here. I'm not going to get to everything. Didn't read everything. Read quite a bit, but let's see what we can what we can fit in here. We're going to begin with uh, Action Comics Action Comics 1034, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by uh, what was that guy's name? Um, Christian Deuce, I want to say. Yeah, um, this is the latest installment of the War World Rising story where uh, Clark takes in a bunch of Kryptonian refugees who were sent to Earth by Mongol for reasons that we're unaware of at present. Um, but uh, Superman's also dealing with a conflict between the U.S. government and the Atlantean army, uh, fighting over some piece of technology that came from that ship from Warworld. And uh, while he and John and Supergirl are dealing with the standoff between the armies, Lois Lane is kind of there fighting alongside the refugees while a bunch of Mongols troops show up and kill them all, essentially. And um, on the other end of this, uh, Superman, you know, the, the Atlantean Earth standoff gets to the point where there are shots fired. Superman sweeps in, goes down to Atlantis, and takes the uh, takes the Genesis fragment thing, uh, knowing that this will cause problems with Atlantis later. And Aquaman, who's there, basically says, "If you do this, you're gonna, you know, even I don't want anything to do with you, and you're completely going to uh, destroy the relationship that Earth has, uh, that um, the surface world has with Atlantis at this point." Um, so. I'm still wondering if this is going to lead to some kind of event with, like, some sort of uh, land versus Atlantis war or something. Um, I also think some of this stuff is going to play in, or some of the stuff in that Superman, Superman and the Authority book, which I'll get into later as I read the latest one of those, um, will play into this to a degree as well. Um, next up we have Amazing Spider-Man 72? Yes, 72. Written by Nick Spencer. With art by Federico Sabatini, Zay Carlos, Marcelo Ferreira, and Carlos Gomez. Um, this is the latest Sinister War tie-in. Um, this is all... This is kind of what I expected these tie-ins to be, where the the Sinister War miniseries carries the main story, and this kind of adds, like, side elements and whatever. And basically, there's a lot of flashbacks here, there's a lot of um, narration here, and you find out, basically, that um, the main thrust of this, and this will probably end up being one of the shorter reviews I do tonight, because there's just not a lot to this, I mean... This issue has some pretty big stuff in it, but there's not a lot of actual plot movement here. Um, what you find out is that very early in his career, Norman Osborn made a deal with Mephisto, uh, to, where Mephisto would give him, you know, power and and all those kinds of things. And the cost of that was the soul of his firstborn son. So Spencer has tied in basically said that all the the shitty stuff that happened to Harry over all the years of 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 these comics uh were because of a deal with Mephisto. Um and you know, I'm sure there are people that will hate this because of the the callback to one more day which most people hate anyway. I thought it was kind of stupid. Um but you know, just because it seemed like not because I had some objection to the deal with the devil thing, because he doesn't even make it. You know, everyone bitched and moaned that Peter made a deal with the devil, but he's not the one who makes it. And you'd have to actually read the thing to know that. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of wonder if this 
this last story before they do the Ben Riley switch um, will undo that, will undo the one more day thing, which is still in place even all these years later. And that will provide your inroad for Peter to lead the book for a while um, as he's going to go hang out with Mary Jane somewhere. I mean, they keep wanting you think he's going to die, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, so, yeah, we've got, I want to say, two more issues before the Ben Riley switch, because I think it's 75, and we'll, this is 72. So you've got two more issues of Peter, I assume, and then we're going to get into whatever the the Ben Riley works for the Beyond Corporation stretch of this is going to be. Um, so I'm intrigued there. Uh, what was our next read here? Uh, Daredevil number 33, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Marco Cicchetto. This is more of the Electra as Daredevil dealing with Bullseye thing. Um, you basically find out that uh, the Kingpin or the mayor of New York, Wilson Fisk, I don't know if he still calls himself the Kingpin at this point, um, has been, has started a program to clone Bullseye. And, uh, and so, you know, Fisk has this whole army of, of, like, Bullseye clones, and, uh, they all beat the snot out of Elektra, and he gets, she gets bailed out by uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man showing up. Not to fight them off necessarily, but, um, but to, uh, but they get her out of it. So she doesn't, like, she could very easily die in that situation. Um, and then in the Matt in Prison stuff, which I'm starting not to care about anymore just because it doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Um, actually, honestly, I couldn't even tell you what that stuff in this issue was. There was some of it. Um, some of it involved some sort of, like, hostage situation, it looked like, and then the cop that originally arrested him, who was from a couple writers ago, gets called in to negotiate with him, and it just kind of stops there, I think. Um, so, yeah, I just really don't care about this met in prison stuff because I just don't seem to be doing that much with it. it doesn't do anything for me um next up detective comics 1041 written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora um this feels like it's treading water before uh fear state which is coming up in the next month or two um Basically, Bruce is running around his, like, network of sewer bat caves, trying to stay ahead of, like, the fact that, um, all vigilante activity has now been criminalized in Gotham, thanks to Mayor Nakano, and, uh, so he, let's see, uh, oh, there's that group called The Jury, which is run by, uh, the Penguin and Roland Worth, who is a guy who has a boner to kill Bruce Wayne. And so they start, like, this media campaign to get Batman to uh, hand Bruce Wayne over to them, uh, not realizing, of course, that they're the same person. Uh, so Batman goes to kind of be put on trial by them, and that, of course, goes as you would expect. He gets attacked by them, and... Uh, the end result of that appears to be that he is infected with the with the um, the parasite that that guy Hugh Vile was carrying. Um, so that looks like it will follow into the next issue of this, which I have but did not have time to read. That will be on next week's or the next episode of this that I do whenever that is. Um, so yeah, I'm not terribly impressed with Tamaki's work on this. Um, at this point, I'm basically still buying this because I'm a completist, and I've been reading this since 
I've been reading Detective since the New 52, and I have a compulsion with uh, completing runs, I guess. So, uh, unless something is really, really atrocious, I'm going to continue to buy it. Um, and this is not that, but it's just not... In, this is like the bottom of my... The bottom of my I want to read this pile every single time it comes out because I just it she just doesn't do anything for me. And, you know, I'm not even sure it feels like they literally had DC literally had no ideas for this book and said, Yeah, just do generic random shit until we get to the fear state thing. Which is exactly what she's done. So yay. Um Next up, we have Fantastic Four Life Story number three. This is the the team aging in real time with each issue showing a decade. Uh, starts off with Reed and Tony Stark going to uh, the White House to convince... Um, let's see, is this supposed to be Bush? Or, or do they not have a... Or is it a fake president? Um... I can't tell, because it doesn't really look like any 80s president. It sort of looks like Reagan. Actually, no, Reagan is in here. Yep, sorry, Josh. Uh, Reagan is actually in here, but they start the, the this part of it off with showing all of his advisor people, and I just missed it at first. Um, so Tony and Reed have this idea for, like, a, a defense system against Galactus, which... You know, they've been, he's been, Reed's been pitching this to every president since like the 1960s and nobody goes for it. Uh, Reagan does go for it, but tries to make the argument that they shouldn't make it to combat Galactus because no one thinks Galactus is a real thing, but that the U.S. should make it and then turn it on its enemies in, on Earth, which is not what Reed means it for, of course. And given his, uh, usual, Leanings, he's very opposed to that. Um, and then we cut to uh, Johnny bailing Franklin out of jail for, like, what it, What was it? Uh, oh, he, like, cuts school or something and gets thrown in jail. Um, so Johnny's, like, 40 now because, obviously, they're aging as you would normally as opposed to the perpetual 25-year-old thing that uh, Marvel tends to do. Um, and then uh, in this universe, I mean, Sue and Reed aren't together anymore, and uh, Ben and Reed are just kind of have a like mutual bachelor pad thing. And, uh, you know, there's not, not a lot going on with this one, but I do enjoy this conceit a lot. Um, I would like to see um, most characters get this treatment in some way, but obviously they have to have, you know, decent ideas for this. Uh, so the big thing here is that uh, Doctor Doom and the Mad Thinker team up to um, to cause a nuclear strike, uh, basically start a fake war between Russia and the U.S., um, thinking that, you know, if they do that, most of humanity will destroy itself, and then they'll be able to pick up the pieces from that point onward. Um, and I don't feel too bad about spoiling this, because it's obviously a parallel world thing that, you know, if you care about it, great. If not, maybe some of the big stuff they do will... I encourage you to read it. Um, so the nuclear strike happens, but all the the established superheroes go out and try to stop it. They succeed with the exception of one missile that escapes, and then Johnny flies off and does like the thing where he absorbs the radiation from it, and he succeeds in preventing the detonation, but he does die as a result. Um, so... The last three issues of this, unless they do some sort of resurrection thing, you'll get to see what this team is like without him. Um, so, and that's not something... I mean, they did that recently. Uh, I think when Hickman was writing it, he was out of the book for a period of time. Um, I have all that stuff and have never read it. 
I hope to go back and do that sometime soon, because I hear it's really good if you're into Hickman's work. So, this is solid. I like the Spider-Man one better, but maybe that's just because I like Spider-Man more to begin with. So, um, I'm more inclined that way anyway. Uh, we also have The Immortal Hulk 49, written by Al Ewing with art by Joe Bennett. Um, this is the next-to-last issue of this book. Um, this basically had the conceit of, you know, you have your pages and you have um, one... Each page had, like, one single panel of artwork that was fairly large and took up probably 80% of the page, and it just had a bunch of text on the, on the side with the remaining 20%. Um, so basically, Hulk is trying to find a way to get to hell uh, because Banner is still trapped there, and he's been there for a while. Um, and so he's trying to find a way to get to do that, and he goes to the Avengers for help. They essentially... I couldn't tell if they refused him or not, because obviously it doesn't have text in the normal way that a lot of these would. Um, so I couldn't tell if they outrightly refused him, or, like, you're supposed to believe that somebody said something that pissed him off, and then he started a huge fight with the Avengers. Um, and then the Fantastic Four shows up and calms the whole thing down and agree to let him use the Forever Gate thing, which had been established in in the main Fantastic Four book as something that will allow you to go anywhere in time and space uh, as long as it's active. Um, so the this issue ends with him going, the Hulk going through the Forever Gate, and you assume he's going to end up in hell at the other side. Um, and I'm assuming that the issue 50, which will be the last issue of this book, will... Obviously, I think it's supposed to be like 80 pages or something ridiculous. So maybe Al Ewing has a lot of story left here. Um, this has been unquestionably the best Hulk one I've ever read. Um, and I think I started around uh, the Red Hulk stuff when they first introduced Red Hulk. And I think I've read everything since. Uh, this is without question the best Hulk book I've ever read. Um... I obviously 50 issues is a nice long run. I do wish this was longer um, just because I really like what Ewing's doing here. But if he's told the story he wants to, you know, 50 issues is nothing to sneeze at these days of constant reboots and, and new number ones and crap. The fact that Marvel actually let a book get to 50 is pretty nuts. Um, they don't generally do that anymore. So, uh, I am curious to see what Donny Cates will do off of this. Um, I don't think you can... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I I don't think, or at least for my interest, I don't think you can go back to, like, the, the snarling, stupid monster Hulk. Like, I think it has to be somewhere in between. Like, obviously it's gonna... I would hope it's a less dark take on the character than what Ewing does, which fits his book, but I don't know if another writer needs to carry that forward necessarily, but I don't know if like the the baby monster Hulk is where you want to go now um, but you know I'll give I'll, Kate's, Kate's presence makes me at least want to read it um, and if it ends up going back into things where I'm not interested, I will not read it anymore um, so yeah uh Let's go to The Joker, number six, written by James Tinney in the fourth, with art by Guillaume March. Um, they should really just call this book Jim Gordon, because that's what it is. Uh, I know why they don't do that, because there's no way in hell a, a book about Jim Gordon would sell, but that's basically what this is, so I'm not sure if it's selling at all. Um... This story might as well be Jim Gordon mopes in Paris, because that's basically what he's doing. He goes to Paris following a lead on where the Joker might be. Um, there's a lot of uh, of narration caption boxes about, like, I told my wife I'd take her to Paris on our honeymoon, then I got bogged down with police work, and we never actually did that, and I feel like an asshole, and then she left me, and uh, just, you know, just like... And I like the character of Gordon, but I mean... 
I don't know if I need this degree of self-analysis from a Batman B character uh, leading a book that is ostensibly supposed to be about the Joker, and he maybe shows up in a page and a half each issue or something. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so he's following leads in Paris, and then uh, Gordon gets arrested by Interpol because somebody planted his fingerprints in a murder site, basically. Um, so that is where this is going to go. Um, couldn't they have just done, like, another Gotham Central and put him in there, uh, rather than calling this a Joker book? I, I don't know. Seems silly to me. But, you know, DC doesn't pay me, so they do what they want, and I stupidly pay for it, I guess. Um, next up we have Miles Morales Spider-Man 29. Written by Saladin Ahmed, with art by Chris Allen. Uh, this is the kind of the epilogue issue to the Clone Saga thing that they just did with Miles, which went from like 25 to 28, way shorter than the Clone Saga that we all know and love. Um, probably worked just as well for this book that it's shorter. Um, and this basically, not a lot happens here this is more like character stuff like miles is trying to figure out what he's supposed to do now as far as like you know his life is really screwed up because the clones went around and pretended to be him a lot and and did some things that put him in a bad situation um he's uh you know there's a lot of interactions with his fellow students and things and uh interactions with the parents um, he tries to, the big giant clone of him that was, like, kind of stupid, that one named Shift is still around, and he's trying to find a way to help him out, um, and then, uh, he gets a new costume from somebody, I guess somebody had been designing a costume for him, and it's basically, uh, if you know the, uh, the stealth suit that Spider-Man had during the big-time arc, which was, I think, when Dan Slott first took over that Amazing Spider-Man on a regular basis. It was, like, this red and black thing that he wore that had stealth capabilities. Um, when Kane, Kane Parker was the Scarlet Spider, he wore that outfit for a while. Um, and he still might, actually. I think he's still around, and he shows up still sometimes in that outfit. Um, this is basically that design. It's a little more hoodie-inspired, kind of, to go off, I think, to kind of to kind of go off the... the. It, it rings of the design from the... to a degree from the uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie. Um, I mean, they're... I think they were... They kind of looked at that when they designed this, in the sense of they wanted something that would remind people of this, but obviously of that, but it couldn't quite look like that because it would look kind of silly on a comic page uh, with the way that one is designed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've never been a really been, a, you know, a costume change like that is not going to make me like stop reading this book or anything. I'm, like, I'm not going to knock an issue of this book because they changed his costume, like, I don't, unless it's really, unless a costume redesign is really friggin' stupid, I tend not to care, so, um, yeah, uh, I still think they've got to do something, and I don't know what you do with this character in the, in the main universe to make him not seem like a sidekick to Peter, uh, I think he was well served in the Ultimate Universe by being the only Spider-Man that was around, uh, now you have, like, three, four, something like that, uh, so, as much as I love Miles, and I know he has a, probably has a dedicated fan base within the comic community, I, I just, I mean, he was better served in his own universe, I think, and I don't know what, I mean, obviously it's still selling well, because they, you know, Marvel's so mercenary with that crap, they would have canceled it by issue six if it wasn't. Um, and this is, I think, the second or third volume he's had since uh, coming over to the 616. So 
Obviously, it's doing well enough that they're not considering getting rid of it. But, uh, yeah. Next up, we have uh, Nightwing 83, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. Uh, this has um, the next step of that confrontation between Dick and... Melinda Zuko, who is his half-sister. Um, you find out that she is actually, you know, she appeared at one point to be a criminal, like her father, working with uh, Blockbuster. You find out that she is work actually working with the FBI or some, some equivalent to take down Blockbuster from the inside, which leads to big fight between Nightwing and Blockbuster. Uh which I believe ends in a stalemate after, like, a bunch of uh, Blockbusters goons show up and start lighting off machine gun fire, and Dick runs away. Um, so I'm sure they're going to continue this. Um, I'm sure this whole thing with, with Blockbusters not done yet. Uh, they're just starting to get this iteration of the book off the ground, really, um, even though it picked up the, the numbering from, from the previous writer and stuff. Um, and then the rest of this issue is, uh, Dick has a encounter with Superman where, you know, Dick's finally figured out what he wants to do with all the money that, um, that, uh, Alfred gave him when he died. Um, so he goes to Superman and says, and it doesn't really say what, what he's planning on doing because I save that for later in the issue, but he kind of goes to Superman for a second opinion, and uh, Superman's like, you know what you're doing, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, and then he does, Superman does ask, Superman lets Dick know that he might not be around for a while, because I think that's going to play into the, the War World stuff in Action Comics, that he might disappear for a little bit. Um, and he asks Dick to keep an eye on John for him. Um, so maybe Nightwing will show up in the Superman Son of Kal-El book at some point. Uh, I do think that would be an interesting dynamic to see. Dick and John together would be kind of cool. Um, and then the book ends with a, with a press conference where Dick basically says he's going to take all the money that he was given by Alfred, start a, start a foundation in Alfred's name to uh, do a bunch of charitable stuff in Bloodhaven and around the world, really, but he's mostly going to focus on uh, on fixing shit in Bloodhaven. So um, we'll have to see how that is reacted to throughout the universe and throughout uh, this book, obviously. Um, next up we'll go to Shazam number two, written by Tim Sheridan, with art by Clayton Henry. Uh, this is a four-issue miniseries. Um, the Rock of Eternity has somehow ended up in hell, so Billy has to go looking for it. So, last issue he hooked up with this kid named Dane, who had, um, and this is a spinoff from Teen Titans Academy, which... Shazam is also in, even though he's barely been in it for the first five or six issues. I feel like they put him in it just so they could get to this book. Um, so he hooked up with this kid named Dane in the Academy who has, like, interdimensional portal powers and helped him get to hell uh, because the Justice League didn't want to involve him. They want to go find the Rock on their own, and they didn't want to involve Billy because they weren't sure that he was reliable. Um, so they go to a casino in hell looking for information as to where the rock is exactly. Um, it goes about as well as you would expect. Uh, he do Billy does encounter someone who's willing to help them find it. Uh, they do find it, but, um, the demons that are around it refuse to help him, uh, remove it from hell, and so there's some conflict there, which is kind of interesting, I've never, haven't read a ton of Shazam stuff, um, 
just because there hasn't been a lot of it, and I kind of thought the movie would lead to more of it. And, I mean, there was that 12-issue book by Jeff Johns, which was decent, um, but I kind of thought the movie and the fact that there's another one coming in the near future would is something that would make Shazam kind of a major player in this universe, and it really hasn't. Um, but, I mean, the, the stuff they've done with him is solid. I just kind of thought it would raise his profile a little bit to be have that movie come out and be fairly successful. Um, but as far as I can tell, it really hasn't. And then you find out at the end that there might be more to this dang kid than we were than you were originally led to believe. I don't want to get into the particulars of that until the next one comes out. So, um, solid read, but I was kind of hoping for more with the Shazam thing. Uh, so, what else do we have here? Uh, Suicide Squad... King Shark number one, which is written by oh crap, I didn't look this up. Um, just give me a second. Uh, written by Tim Seeley with art by Scott Collins. Um, this is obviously a reaction to uh, the popularity of King Shark from the James Gunn Suicide Squad movie. Um, he Basically, the premise of this is um, King Shark is being, like, called by something mystical to go back to his home, which is where he, obviously, some part of the world that he came from. Uh, Waller says to another uh, Suicide Squad-adjacent character called the Defacer, who basically is just like a graffiti tagger, uh, doesn't have powers or anything, but somehow ends up in the Suicide Squad prison for for spraying graffiti on walls like seems like a bit of a bit of overkill to me but whatever um waller says that they can't put a brain bomb in king shark's head or whatever so in order to um ensure that king shark will return to them uh which is what waller wants obviously um she basically makes this defacer person go with him to his homeland and says, if just, just tell King shark that if he doesn't come back, I'll kill you instead. And he seems to like you. So, uh, hopefully that will get him to do that. And if not, you die. Uh, so then, uh, King shark gets there, confronts his father. Uh, I guess there's some sort of, uh, like contest called the Wild Games that he's being compelled to participate in, and the issue ends with uh, essentially a female version of King Shark shows up and starts beating the shit out of him. Um, so we'll see where that goes. I only kind of grabbed this because I am reading the main Suicide Squad book, and I thought it would be interesting. I know nothing about the uh, the actual. DC Comics version of King Shark, you know, my, uh, my exposure is limited to the crappy CGI version they did on The Flash a couple of times, and the, the recent movie version played by Sylvester Stallone, and while I figured the comic version would not walk around going, hand, bird, and whatever, um, this is very, uh, different from that in the sense that he does have, like, full dialogue and stuff. He's just a giant shark monster. So, um, I thought it was kind of fun, actually. I don't know if this character could carry, like, a regular uh, monthly series. I kind of doubt that. He would need somebody to bounce off, at which point you might as well make it a team book anyway. Um, but it's fun as a little diversionary thing. Uh, so, cool. Um, we also have Superman and the Authority number two, written by um, Grant Morrison with art by Mikhail Janin. Uh, this is more of uh, Superman recruiting his team of weirdos, who I guess the Authority is a Wildstorm thing that DC is also using, because I think they own all the Wildstorm wild stuff. So we already know that Manchester Black is on this team. And the rest of this is basically Superman and Manchester Black going around recruiting other 
the rest of the team that he intends to have. The uh, N- Natasha Iron Steel is recruited. Um, and Apollo and Midnighter are also recruited too. Um, and they are, you know, I'm not in love with those characters necessarily, but I also haven't read a lot of stuff that they appear in. So maybe this will um, raise my opinion of them somewhat, uh, as I just don't have a lot of exposure to them as characters anyway. And then you also have the Enchantress in here as somebody that gets recruited for this team. Um, I'm trying to remember if there's anybody else. I'm just paging through it real quick. Um, No, it sort of ends with the... It sort of ends with the um, the Enchantress requirement, but there's requ- recruitment, but there's two issues left, so we'll see. Um, and I believe that this team is going to play into the stuff in Action Comics, where uh, Superman's going to feel the need to go to uh, War World, which they've been teasing for a while now, to free all the refugees and stuff, and the... He's repeatedly asked the Justice League to go do it with him, and Batman and everybody else is very quietly just kind of playing him off and being like, no, we're not going to do that right now. So I think he's going to he's going to feel the need to go do that, and he's going to have this team backing him up instead of the League is where that's probably going to go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays into the regular stuff in Action Comics. Because uh, I kind of felt like this might have even been an out-of-continuity thing at first, and I don't think it is. Um, but the first issue kind of made me feel like it was that. Um, and then we also, we're coming up to the tail end here. i got like a book or two left. Uh, we have next X-Force 22, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by, I can't read that. Uh, let's see, art by, um, Robert Gill, whoever that is, uh, this involves, um, X-Force dealing with the, the country that is opposed to them having all the, the plant life technology in it, and, um, some of those people exposed exposed themselves to it and gave themselves powers through it and are trying to like lead a terrorist group that will get rid of that wants to eliminate all that stuff and then uh Wolverine and Domino uh go looking for the main doctor guy that's leading all this and they also have working alongside them a character from the recent series of, and I only read like one of these, but it wasn't this one. Um, I read they had a series of Weapon Plus one-shots recently within the last year. Um, I read the first one because of the characters that were involved in it, but after reading the first one, it wasn't really clear to me what what the point of that was, so there, there were more of them, but I didn't bother with them. Um, but... One of the things to come out of that is a Man-Thing type character called Manslaughter that, like, has the has full speech ability and stuff and, like, carries giant guns around and shit. So he teams up with Wolverine and Domino to, to take out this scientist guy. And, uh, yeah, that's basically what this was. Um, dealing with the, um, dealing with that whole idea of the the floronic technology getting away from them and being used by somebody else um so that appears to be done now uh although who knows now with uh and i can't remember if i mentioned this in the last show or not um the announcement that hickman is leaving the x line uh after the inferno event um it sounds like he was and obviously he's coordinating this with a bunch of other writers. He's not writing everything because there's a ton of there's a ton of books now. Um and he's writing a couple of them. And he's kinda he's kind of the main steward of the line, but he's not writing everything. Um so so I think he wanted 
the story to be further along than it is. And a lot of the other, one of the uh, interviews I read said that he envisioned it as like a three phase thing. And where he is, where in his mind it's moving towards some parts of it are moving towards like the second phase right now. A lot of the other writers are just happy sitting in the ideas that he gave them for the first phase. And, and, you know, and I don't think he wants to like, doesn't sound like he wants to like pull the creative hissy fit. And I think he sounds, it sounds like he thought it was probably better to just leave now rather than trying to like jump in and be like, no, this is what I wanted to do. So you're going to do that. Um, I mean, the line's been pretty enjoyable for the last however long since they've done this whole Dawn of X thing, so if they want to keep that going, not going to bother me all that much. Uh, so my last book for this week is X-Men Legends number 6, written by Peter David with art by Todd Nock. Um, this is more of that uh, 90s X-Factor stuff where... Um, the team is trying to stop a bunch of mutant terrorists from taking over the Latvian embassy. Um, basically, it's just a bunch of fighting. Um, had some funny moments and fighting intercut with, like, Havoc testifying at a Senate hearing, which is hysterical. Because um, he just doesn't give any fucks. And, it, and it's quite fun. Um, this also has uh, some fun moments as far as I guess these mutant terrorists are Latvian, so I'm not, I kind of missed, and maybe it's because it's been a while since I read the last one, I forget why exactly they were trying to do this, um, but, uh, so, Dr. Doom shows up to talk them down, basically, and you find out that that happened because Pietro went and retrieved him and brought him to New York there's a whole scene of, like, um, he jumps on Pietro's back and does the super speed thing, and then Doom barfs in his helmet, which I thought was hysterical. Made me laugh. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Doom basically gets the conflict to stop, and that was basically the end of it. Um, again, I feel like I'm in, I'm enjoying these X-Men Legends things, but I feel like they're either not big enough stories to have these things written around them, or it would probably help if I'd read a lot of the, you know, because they tell you which time period these are sent in, like at the beginning of each story, but a lot of these are things I either haven't read the issues around them, or I haven't read the issues around them in years, so the finer points are escaping me when it comes to uh, recall. Because um, some of these these things are from books that are like 40 years old, 35 years old. And there's some that I probably read the surrounding issues at the time, but I don't really remember them at this point. Um, so that wraps up everything that I was able to read this week. Let's go through the stuff from this week that I did not get to, which you can look forward to being on the next one of these that I might do uh, probably next weekend. Uh, the latest issues of Wolverine, The United States of Captain America, Thor, uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, The Spider-Man Life Story Annual, um, the latest issue of Robin, uh, Nonstop Spider-Man. Um, I also have, and I wasn't originally planning on reading this, but I also have um, the Batman, the next Batman Second Son, which is a 12-issue digital first thing that they did a while ago, spinning out of the Future State stuff, because I thought the Future State stuff was like DC 2099, which it clearly is not. Um, because a lot of the stuff they were doing in that, at least with the Gotham stuff, is like the direct result of the Fear State stuff, which is about to start now. And the John Ridley written 
uh, African-American Batman, who I thought was in the far future for this universe, is about to show up in current stuff. Um, and I think this... I'm not going to go back and read all the $8 future state one-shots and whatever, but I think this this miniseries kind of sets that up. And then um, Ridley has the the I Am Batman series, which I think is going to focus on this character. Um, so I decided to read that because I'm, I don't think I've ever read any... I like a lot of John Ridley's work, and I've never read any of his comics, so I was curious to read that. I might, um, when I have time to read that, the second son thing, I might do a separate show on that, depending on how good it is, and whether I think it's actually worth talking about or not. Um, so that's on my future list. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, I forgot about, uh, I have three issues of The Flash still, so let's just blow through these. Um, Flash Annual 2021 and issues 772 and 773. Uh, the annual closes out the Wally jumping through time thing that they've been doing for a little bit. He goes to the events of Heroes in Crisis where he was basically shown to be a mass murderer. Uh, they have since retconned that to say that uh, that was actually a speed force explosion caused by Savitar trying to get out of the trying to get out of the speed force and the the explosion was caused by Wally's attempt to stop that uh, which basically exonerates him from mass murder um, there's a lot of interaction with Roy Harper in this issue who was actually alive at this point during Heroes in Crisis he actually was one of the heroes who died during that um, and a lot of that stuff would have had way more weight to it if they hadn't also been doing that Infinite Frontier miniseries where Roy is very much alive without explanation. Um, so it kind of, it was, I feel like it was supposed to have weight. Maybe if I had read it when it originally came out, it would have, because I don't remember when it, when it, uh, was released in relation to the Infinite Frontier miniseries. So maybe if I had read that before reading that other thing, it might have meant more, but I was like, since I already know this character is alive now, like, why do I care about him unburdening himself about dying and stuff? Um, the next issue is... Uh, okay. So these ha are written by uh, Jeremy Adams, art by Will Conrad. I believe all three of them are that. Um, the first regular issue is Wally looking for a job. Um, and he's looking for, like, a regular job. And he goes to, like, a... Jiffy Lube type place, because he's an engineer, I guess. I never knew that about him, but maybe that's something that's always been there that I just never knew about. Um, and he sucks at the whole Jiffy Lube thing, because he takes too long. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of that is, is quick service and whatever, but he's very much like, well, I'm going to take as much time as I need to make sure it's done correctly, and that doesn't really work. And uh, Mr. Terrific shows up at the... the Jiffy Lube, or I think they call it Speedy Lube in this in this universe or whatever, and offers Wally a job um, at Terrific Tech as an engineer uh, helping one of his science teams that's trying to do time travel shit. So, um, I did not, as I said before, I did not know that Wally was an engineer, and that's, you know, that's cool. I actually don't know that much about a lot of these characters from any earlier than 2011. And since Wally was not featured in much of any of the new 52 stuff, um, there's no way I would have known that anyway. And then uh, 773 is intercut between Wally's first day at Terrific Tech doing engineer stuff for them and Heatwave, who I guess was a reformed criminal in this universe and now isn't. Uh, going around burning buildings down and Wally trying to stop him from doing that. Uh, you find out in one of these issues that uh, Heatwave has terminal cancer, and that's why he's now like back to being a villain because he doesn't really give a shit anymore about you know about whatever he was doing in 
uh, for reform purposes. Uh, and then the issue ends with um, Amanda Waller essentially recruiting him to the Suicide Squad. So we'll see if he shows up over there. Um, and that is the last stuff I wanted to do tonight. Um, let's see what else we have on the I haven't quite read this yet list. Uh, Dark Hawk number one. Some new miniseries they're going to do with a new Darkhawk. Checkmate number three. Cable Reloaded number one. And yeah, that's about it. Okay, so I guess I didn't have that much left. Um, so those things will overhang into the next installment here, and plus whatever comes out next week that I'm unaware of right now. Um, I know we are we're working on doing the latest of our back issue shows about that Superman story time and time again. I think we're going to try to record that next week. Josh and Brendan want to do a review of the Candyman reboot film, uh, which I think they're planning on doing this week as well. Um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings obviously releases on Friday. Um, so a couple of us are going to go see that. I think, I think Justin and I are, Justin and I are planning on seeing it. Um, I'm going on Saturday, so probably the following week we might be able to string some sort of review together for that. Um, might drag my brother Tim into that, uh, cause I bet he will see it as well. Um, so, yeah. This has been the pull list for the last couple days in August. Um, so I hope that with Labor Day weekend I'll be able to get this done earlier than I am right now, um, but we'll see what happens, and everybody have a great week, uh, we will continue to be, we will be continuing to put content out, um, now that people are busier with, like, you know, now that people are actually allowed to be out, out and about in public and stuff, um, we are a little busier, but we're still trying to get, uh, episodes out to you guys. And we appreciate the listenership and the feedback. Well, we don't really have a lot of feedback unless you're in the Facebook group. Um, but I might. I've been debating setting up a Twitter feed for this podcast and maybe giving my email out somewhere so that anyone that we don't know who is listening to this can give us ideas for things they might want to hear. Um, so, yeah. Have a great week, everyone. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., enjoy Labor Day if I don't, if we don't post anything between now and then uh okay good night <sighs>